hey, your work is my work, man. Your work is my work. I definitely have and continue to be dependent on vices, whether it be alcohol, whether it be marijuana, maybe it's overeating, maybe it's even I'm addicted to exercising because I need to work out or else I'm going to start to freak out here. Like first acknowledge yourself. This is something here. There's something below the surface within me that's causing me to compensate for some sort of reason. And again, your work is my work and that will never be done there. And it's just part of the journey of becoming aware of it and then figuring out how to go deeper of creating that sacred place for yourself where you can see, huh, what's underneath that? What's the need that I'm not getting met that's causing me to do that? Is it my insecure? Am I just exhausted? Am I whatever it is? And going down there and start to play with the root of it as opposed to just look at the leaves or the fruit that's coming from it. What's going on, Better Than Show listener? Uh, today, you're in for a treat with Alex Kremer. He is the founder of the Alluvians Movement and the Rising Leader Podcast. You got to check out what he's up to. Alex absolutely crushed it in business and now is taking that and leading others. Um, he, he works with a lot of people in sales, particularly inside corporations and tech. Yeah, he's super successful at what he does. But not only that, he has the, one of the biggest hearts you'll ever see. He has a presence about him that I think you're really going to enjoy as well. You know, Alluvian, so what he's up to there uh, is really about, you know, helping leaders connect to purpose, community, and growth. And so we get into all that. We get into his meditation practice, you know, how to, of course, crush it in business, but also to find the deeper meaning and purpose in life. So if that is something you're interested in, stick around till the end. You're going to love this. And uh, without any further ado, let's get on with the show with Mr. Alex Grammer. Welcome to the Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Welcome back to the Better Than Rich show. We have a special guest today, Alex Kramer. I'm obviously here with my co-host, Mike Abramowitz. And we're just excited to have you on the show, man. How are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing really good. I've been looking forward to this for the past month or so since we've had it on the calendar. So I'm grateful to be here. I know, man. It's exciting. And Mike, I'm excited for you to get to meet Alex too. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. And I know that you guys will hit it off too. Yeah, man, I'm just pumped to dive in with you. Obviously, we've known each other for a number of years at this point, And it's just been really cool to watch your journey just to from like this tax sales killer to now what you're doing inside Alluvians and the mission that you're up to with the Rising Leader podcast and all of that stuff. And just this shift that I've been able to witness myself personally, but then also I've always seen you as somebody who had this deeper mission and purpose. And it's been really cool to watch that journey. So I'm curious, fill me in, fill the guests in and the listeners in. What's the deal, man? What's what's the journey that you have been on? And what's the message that you're bringing to the world these days? It's funny. When I think back to when I started this journey in a commitment type of way, really was committed to going inward and to bringing forth my mission. It was right essentially when we, you and I met back in 2017. And I still remember when I joined the community that you were leading. And I think you were doing like for three straight months or three straight weeks, something like that, a call a week with the crew that started in that community and you supporting us in our journeys. And so I look back and so thanks for those kind words. And also you very much supported me on that journey in a lot of types of ways. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's some. Sometimes it's easy to forget how, it, I, even though it is something like it sounds almost 
strange or braggadocious to say where some people have told me that I've changed their lives. It never really quite connects. I never fully received that. And so it's really helpful when someone does reflect that back to me. And also it's very difficult to receive that. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, Mike, if you've ever experienced that too, but I think it's something that we all have a challenge with is like fully receiving when somebody appreciates us, right? It's an interesting way to begin and just think about, man, how do we receive appreciation? So I appreciate that. So thanks for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, I always feel like I have the opportunity to really give praise. I can give compliments. I can make people feel good. But when someone turns around and does it back to me, I'm cool. Thanks. You're welcome. It's whatever. We had JV Crumb III on the podcast. He's one of my mentors. And he called me out on this once. He said, what's your relationship with receiving? I said, I don't have a good time. He's like, and what's your relationship with giving? I was like, oh, I can give all day. That's no problem. He said, then you want to explore how you're approaching giving. Because if you're giving to someone, then what you're sending, but you don't know how to receive what you're sending to the universe is this, this message that you're almost like I'm better than other people because I'm giving to them and they need me. But when it comes to me receiving from other people, I have to strengthen my relationship with that. So what is my attachment to giving? And what is my purpose for giving that it comes so easy? But what is my relationship with receiving and that it comes so difficult because those people are receiving what I'm giving. And it was a really interesting conversation that I had with him. That awareness was super helpful. I do have a curiosity under that, like this umbrella of giving and receiving for you, Alex, of just under the umbrella of meditation, I know that's one of the things you specialize in. If someone were to meditate on this a curiosity, like maybe it's not this exact one, but if someone was to meditate on something and poke around and be curious on something, like where might one begin their curiosity of asking themselves these types of questions and exploring these types of questions? Maybe it's not that one specifically, but just in general, I'd love for you to riff on that a little bit back to when I started to get into meditation. So I've been in tech sales leadership for about 15 years now. I started out at Microsoft Big Tech. I was at DocuSign. I joined Outreach at a very early stage of the company and helped to build that out to more than 2,000 people and opened up our New York office. Now I'm at a company called Catalyst. So I've lived and breathed within the tech world. And there's a certain breed of person that is in tech sales. It's a unique one at times. And it's very achievement oriented, just as many sales jobs are achievement oriented. But it was back, I think you were actually in Guatemala when this happened, Andrew, where I was there, it was at this retreat, and I was struggling through a breakup at the time. And it had actually been two years since I had gone through the breakup, and I was still holding on to it. And that was preventing me from not just opening up to people, but more of letting people in. I was afraid because I was like, I don't want to get hurt again. I've been through that. I'm in it. And that's a big, scary thing. And I remember I went up to a guy named Michael Brabant, the guy who was this guru meditation kind of guy. And I was like, hey, Michael, like, I got this thing that like, I can't shed it. I don't know what the heck it is, but it's on me. It's negative. It's depressive. Like what's going on? And what he told me at this point started like my whole journey to where I'm at today. And he asked me some questions like, when you think of this, you think of her, when you think of the thing that's holding back, where in your body do you feel it? And I was like, that's a very good question. Where in my body do I feel it? I was like, I feel it right in my lower chest, like right above my solar plexus. He said, okay, we have four days left here at this retreat for the rest of the time. I would like for you to really focus on breathing in and breathing out through that part. Just really bring intention and presence to going in and out through that part. And I did. <laughs> I committed to it. And for some reason, I was just able to really drop in and really focus on breathing out when I was talking with one other person, when I was listening to somebody, when I was eating food, I really focused on that. 
And there was something about that brought me so much out of my head, what I'm trying to do, receiving validation from things outside of me to just being like here with myself. And it was just such a, oh my God, this is what's possible when you get out of your head and start to feel my body. And I remember at the very end of that retreat, I remember raised my hand. I was like, yes, I just tried this whole new thing. I've been breathing through my heart and chest and I feel phenomenal. So excited. It was like, do you feel called to commit to anything in front of everybody here? I was like, you know what? Screw it. I commit to meditating for 365 days in a row. And I did it. And sure, it wasn't always the 30 minutes sitting down in the morning, nice, peaceful. Sometimes it was right before I went to bed, a minute or two just to really presence myself. But I committed to 365 days in a row. And that year ended up being one of the, I would say, the inflection points or crossing the threshold parts of my year of not only did I make more money than I'd ever made from a sales professional perspective, I ended up getting the opportunity to move into a sales leadership role, which I had been aspiring for many years. But I ended up just like developing better community. I ended up finding a partner. I ended up really just like nourishing myself just through the first simple fact of breathe through my body where it hurts or where I feel it. And then just a commitment to that, whether it be two minutes a day or 30 minutes if you have the space and you have the time. And that's led to how I've shown up now as a leader, like beginning of each one of my team meetings, my team and I does breath work and or maybe a meditation prior to it. As I'm building out my community, Alluvians, meditation and breath work and the art of sales and leadership are combined into those two things together. And that's really part of the change that is really resonant to me that I'm like, man, I got to share this message, this thing with the rest of the world. I appreciate that. My follow-up, and I'll kick it to you, Biggs, is when you said present yourself and coming back to my initial question of poking around, curiously asking questions and aligning that with presence in yourself, if you could just help any someone who maybe they are involved with meditation or maybe they're a rookie, maybe they're an amateur, maybe they heard this word before and they think of it's like a Buddha sitting on a mountain on a hilltop in Tibet, or there's other people, it's, yeah, I know how to presence myself for one to two minutes before bed. What does it mean to you when you say presence yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. I had it explained to me from someone who I really look up to quite a bit, and they have a lot of history and practice with the meditation. They talked about essentially kind of three steps, and I'll elaborate on each one. The step number one is just, first off, have a sacred place that you go to, whether it be a sacred spot in your apartment, a sacred chair, somewhere in nature, just like a consistent place that's clean. I will usually light a candle just to signify the light that I am always going towards. I've been getting really into crystals every once in a while. I'll put those out there just to vibe with that. But just what's a place that the container that I'm at, I can feel there's a different feel, there's a different vibration here. Number two, it's really about having rhythm of refill is how it was described to me. A rhythm of refill being a commitment to, hey, this isn't just like once in a while, whenever I'm feeling crappy, whatever it might be, but like a commitment to, hey, I need to make sure that I'm nourishing myself. I only have so much capacity to be with others, whether it be our families, whether it be our customers, whether it be the people we lead. I need to nourish and fill my own cups with that rhythm of refill. And number three, when you have that, then... You know, it could be called many things, but I would say to grieve. We got this gunk bottled up, this stress, this excitement, this problems, whatever we are facing. And we just have to create space to say, okay, this is a sacred space. I'm doing this often. Let me just feel it and let it come up and let me either ball my eyes out, let me bang on the ground, let me laugh, let me mourn, whatever needs to come out. And I found that 
just being a commitment to that is the rest will follow in my mind. I love it, Alex. And I love the presence that you're bringing to the show. And it shows that you have that presence. You have that rhythm of refill. You have that sacred time that you're bringing. And then what that does is ultimately it kind of deepens the presence that you're able to bring to each interaction and then the shared experience that someone has when they meet you or even when they interact with you on a show like this and a podcast, it's different, right? It has a certain different quality to it, has a certain different enter- energetic and ultimately that's what's felt. I'm curious, what does that have to do with sales and business and leadership? Doesn't that have to do with spirituality? Just to play devil's advocate here, like why is this even important to somebody who just wants to grow their business? Yeah. First off, I'm still very much on the journey myself of discovering why is this important. But I'll tell you that for many years, I've been great at sales, right? And there's always stuff for me to learn there. But I've always been one of the top producers on the team, President's Club, crush quota, then you got a new quota, crush that quota. And that's great. And I'm down to make a whole bunch of money and live an abundant lifestyle in terms of a wealthy perspective. And I also know it's fleeting. It's like it's seeking a certain sense of validation from something that's outside of us. If I hit quota, then I'm good enough. If I drive this great car, then people will think that I'm successful. If I have the amazing, beautiful partner, then people will think that I'm going to. And that stuff is outside of us right there. It is sure we can put an intention and hard work to really try to make those things come to be. And that serves us. If I work harder, I most likely will be able to do better. And I don't always want to have to work harder. I actually, my reframe lately has been, what if life didn't need to be so hard, but what if life was actually easy? What if life was actually easy because we were serving something that was bigger than us and we were coming from love with that? And I found that when I am focused on my inward journey first and getting over the ego things that said, well, you need to do this in order to be better when I'm just like able to show up, be in a certain presence with someone. And you can feel it. I think the biggest gift that you can give to somebody is your presence. Like truly, everybody's here been on calls where you're talking to someone and you might be pouring your heart out, whatever it might be. And they're typing, they're responding to slacks, they're looking at their phone. They just got done saying something. And right when they got done saying something, they pulled out their phone and they wanted to check something because it was just like so many other things going on. And when we can truly be in presence and like, not just like receiving like from our bodies, like even as I do that, like I kind of like my shoulders go back and my heart opens up, but bringing like that true curiosity if someone shares something to just ask that natural, like, I want to dive deeper because I'm not just like trying to lead you to closing you, so to speak. I want to know what makes you tick. And that's a differentiator right there. You want to talk about who I would prefer to buy from is the person who actually gives me the space and the time. And they're not using me to try to get to something that's serving for themselves. They're leveraging me to try to serve something that is greater than themselves. And that something is greater is going to serve both them and it's going to serve me. And that's really where part of my mission has really started to evolve, especially over the past three or so years. It's I'm down to achieve like I said, let's close deals. Let's sling some sass and be being in sales. Let's do that. And how do we bring a certain sense of purpose to that? How do we bring a certain sense of fulfillment to that? How do we even bring spirituality when they say do that? And how do we combine those two things together 
that say, man, wouldn't it feel good to be in purpose and also to be making a ton of money? And therefore, the money is merely a measurement of the impact that we are having on the world. That's a difference in mindset. And that caused me to say, hey, I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to start prepping for these calls, making some cold calls, really digging into this because I have something that I'm serving. And if I'm able to bring my unique self to that and like to own that, own my weirdness, own my uniqueness, becomes fun. That way. I'm loving this topic because being in sales for over two decades and coaching and teaching people in sales, it's how to shed that ego, how to shed the false self, as Dr. Kelly Flanagan called it in our in his episode on the podcast. How do you shed this false self? And what's challenging for salespeople is in sales, it is very much in the outside world, right? It's very much a results-oriented type of industry. What are the results? What are the outcomes? What are the benchmarks? How many? How often? It's very much quantifiable numbers, data, and behind each one of those data points is a human. (laughs) Each number is a human. And then we have this weighted pressure to look at the numbers And then we have this also this pressure to perform at a high level while we're with that human. And if I'm hearing you, you can't really truly receive the reward of the result. And you can't truly connect with the human if you don't fully authentically connect with yourself first. That's almost like the prerequisite, because if not, then fear shows up and projection of insecurities might show up, projection of these false beliefs show up. I'm digging this because, shit, I spent over a decade exploring the same stuff, being in sales. It's like, how do I shed some of those false beliefs? So I really dig this. What else would you say under this thread of like having this unattached mindset or this like rewiring belief system going into a conversation and like being unattached from the outcome, but also unattached from their response. I really want to know what you have to say only if it is what I want to hear, right? (laughs) One of those types of things. It's a really good question. The first thing I'll say is I don't think what I'm sharing is necessarily new (laughs) per se. I think many people have said it and many people have been saying it for many years as well. I think COVID really did change how organizations needed to be run, where until 2021, it was very much grow at all costs, drive results. And that's what we're here to do. And people were down for that. Cool. Let's grow this thing. Let's make as much money as possible. Let's get our company valued as much money. Let's either go public or let's get it sold and let's make bank. And what I've just been feeling personally and what I've been seeing, especially as I've led over 200 sales professionals now at this point, maybe it's even like millennials and below are really, this is really prevalent, is money has actually been deprioritized a little bit in terms of what they care about. Is it so important? Obviously, it's so important. But what people I really want is two things. They want meaningful impact, right? They want to feel like what they are doing is doing good on this world. Like they're part of something bigger. It's a mission that gives you a reason to wake up. And the second thing that people want is they want to be in community with other people who are doing that same mission. Wouldn't it feel good to put my arms around my teammates or my partner or my family? Be like, hey, let's go after this. And it's not about the individual here. It's about what we are doing together. You can't not rise as a professional, as a leader, right? Then when it comes to having those hard conversations or having a certain standard, because the team is really saying, hey, I'm not in it just for me. I need to show up for my teammates and for the cause. That becomes, I think, the key thing. If organizations don't figure out how to solve, I don't care how good their product is, it's going to go down. I, I just foresee that. But if companies can continue to evolve and put leaders at the top, 
who are going for something bigger versus just going for hit your KPIs and hit your number, that company feeling will be felt throughout. That transmission will come off as people are speaking with each other, as people are speaking with their clients. Clients will be like, there's such a good feeling I have about these people because they're sold on the impact right there. So I'm so stoked that I get to be alive during the time when this evolution is changing. And I've been a part of, luckily, you know, a few organizations who have really started to understand that and started to make big changes. And I've been a leader who's really tried to promote that. I'm like, there's something here. Let's start to steward this new way of thinking. Let's bring forth a new wave of rising leadership. I'll definitely kick it to Biggs. I reached for a book on my bookshelf as you were riffing there called Conscious Capitalism, and it was recommended to me. And I really love the book. I love how it ties into a lot of what you're saying from an organizational standpoint. And one of the things I have it folded, I haven't looked at this book in a little while, but I remember it where page 46 and 47, the author talks about examples of higher purpose, like Disney to use our imaginations to bring happiness to millions, Johnson and Johnson to alleviate pain and suffering, Southwest Airlines to give people the freedom to fly. Like these are some of the biggest names and biggest companies and they're leading with some sort of purpose, not just let's reach a billion dollars, a hundred million dollars. Let's get this many followers. Let's get this many sales, something deep BMW to enable people to experience the joy of driving. So they built these lasting organizations, the founder of Whole Foods for listeners who haven't heard of the book. That's essentially who wrote this book, but it's like his, the story there is really beautiful of how he designed the organization. The original Whole Foods in Austin flooded at one point and all the community members came out and cleaned up the business. So that way they could have their community grocery store again. It's just like, how can you, listener, build a business and build an organization with this consciousness in mind along with, and this community in mind, along with the capitalism where it's like supply and demand. Let's all get wealthy while making a difference. There is an end. And I think society has an, or has positioned an or there, which is just bullshit. So I really love, you know, this conversation so far. So. Don't mess up, man. I'm enjoying it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. And also, like, how do you truly bring it in? I feel like sometimes these concepts or ideas get co-opted or maybe people kind of speak to, they see a trend in the marketplace, right? And then all of a sudden, every company is virtue signaling to the millennials and to the Gen Zers and saying, here at fill in the blank company, Norfolk Southern, we focus on making an impact for the environment, right? It's like, yeah, uh, something happened in Ohio recently. Maybe you should check that out. How do we make sure and how do we differentiate and how do we have our wisdom and discernment gauges set so that we aren't just simply falling prey to what an organization claims is their values, but really ultimately at the end of the day, it's about the almighty dollar or it's about something else rather than what you're mentioning. And I would love to maybe hear about your leadership style and you're the head of sales right now at Catalyst. I don't know a ton admittedly about what you guys do. Maybe you can talk to that a little bit. But ultimately, I think the style of leadership that you're bringing where you say, yeah, we start our meetings with meditation or, you know, we have conversations that are really conscious and we're creating a community and a culture. We have standards, but ultimately it's also about the personal self-actualization of the individuals on the team. How do you actually make this real instead of every other corporate person who read a memo, this is what millennials and Gen Zs care about. And then all of a sudden just put some marketing on it and said, all right, that should make them happy. What's next? 
This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. That's a powerful question right there. And it also is going to make me dig a little bit deeper in terms of how do I do that? Because we've definitely all heard it. Oh, yeah, we're, we believe in diversity. Oh, man, everybody is really feeling called to such a great purpose. And then you, you get into the company, you get into the team, your words aren't aligning with what's actually reality there. There's a framework that I believe in. I call it the Alluviant Method, actually. And it's really there's five main steps or levels of who and where you can lead. And the first step is always to lead yourself. And it really comes with, are you doing what you need to nourish yourself, to have a vision for yourself, to get the mentorship that you need leading yourself? Once you can do that, then you can lead others. You can lead another person. You can support. You can coach them. You can help them step into a greater level of empowerment. Once you can lead another person, then you can lead the third step. Is you can lead a, lead a greater group of people working towards the same thing. I love playing softball. And I remember one of the first years that I got my softball team together, I loved it. I loved when people would come to the field and I just give a little bit of a fist pump. Be like, hey, I'm down to have a great time. You're my friend, but like, let's freaking win this game here. You know what I'm saying? Let's get after this. Let's beat this team here. And that competitive spirit. So I love the team aspect. And once you can lead a team, then you can lead a culture right? And it's really starting to say, who else are you going to be leading? That's maybe not your direct report. Maybe there's another leader who's at my same level, but on a different team. How can I make sure to lead them and they can lead me to go towards a higher cause, a higher purpose. And once you can lead a culture, the last step, then you can start really changing how people are showing up. And what I am so grateful that I get the opportunity to do is if I show up as a leader like this to some of the sales professionals on my team, the individual contributors, and I'm one of their first managers or second managers they've had, and they see how I talk and how I, what I'm committed to, they're like, well, this is just how leadership is. When I eventually go to a different company where I step into a leadership role, this is the way that we're supposed to be, right? It's like I'm passing the torch down and be like, this water tastes good. You should try it out at more places. But it all really ties back, Andrew, this is a good question of like, how do you actually do it? For me, to be honest, that step number one, I have to be a commitment to it, man. I am committed to this path. I'm verging on the, I'm obsessed with it. I am really focused on my meditation, my breath work. I journal every single day. I'm constantly receiving mentorship and coaching from different people and from different communities. I am doing the deep work. Like I am going inward and I am excavating the parts that don't feel good enough, that feel my imposter syndrome. I am working on what my vision statement is generally once a, once a week. One of the reasons why I chose to start Alluvians, which is essentially my community for tech sales professionals who want to step into something greater than themselves and become a badass sales professional is because I've been a part of these communities for the past six or seven years and I've gained an immense amount from it. And just by the proximity of going to a quarterly immersion slash retreat, speaking on a, a biweekly basis with my coach, being in community with other people, I can't help but just start talking like that, start integrating that, start living it. Maybe not at the beginning. Did I find myself becoming more present after two weeks of meditation? Maybe not. I can tell you I'm a hell of a lot more present after being a commitment to meditation for the past eight years every single day. I start to find myself saying, oh, wow, I'm really coming from something externally. And so as long as I really am, I'm saying this, the word differently here. I'm not committed to the work. I'm a commitment to the work. I don't feel abundant. I am abundance. 
sort of thing. And when I kind of change that, it changes how I'm identifying with it. That's part of my identity. And when my natural words or how I'm leading the team meetings come out, like this is just how I think now at this point, this isn't, this isn't scripted. This isn't, you know, it's obviously received from a lot of different teachers and coaches, bigs, you being very much one of them. And I've put it through my lens and this is just how I view it and want to engage the world. And I'll just say, I'm at the very beginning of the beginning of it. Like I'm not about to raise my hand and be like, guys, I figured it out. Here's how you do it. Here's how we find purpose. Here's how you get more self-connect with yourself. I'm very much like, Hey, I've learned some stuff and dude, I haven't even scratched the surface. It feels like what the shit is that I'm starting to uncover here. Yeah, totally. And I love the humility that you're bringing in, Alex. And also just you, you're somebody who's, who's living it, right? And then that lived experience is being shared and it can't help but change you. And also it's one of those things where you don't have to really pretend you can just be yourself. So I love the five-step pyramid kind of approach there that you outlined. And it's also like at any point, if you fail to secure the foundation, that could be a problem, right? And then all of a sudden it jeopardizes some of the stages at the top, even if you have the capacity to make those sorts of impacts, if you forget to lead yourself or you stop leading yourself or something's getting in the way and and you're not seeking mentorship, you're not getting leadership around it, then that's going to be a problem for the future. Mike, I'm curious what's coming up for you, man. First, I I, want to say I went to a Kyle Cease seminar once and he said two hours a day, every single day to meditate. And he said, I just sit there for two hours. I was like, this guy could do it. I could do it. I was like, all right, I'll do it for seven days. My longest ever ever was maybe 12 minutes. Like I used to have like Noom, I think was the app I had at the time. And I was like, all right, let's try this. Let's set the timer and feel like, oh, this had to be an hour. And I was like eight minutes. And I'm like, what the, f-? I just felt like an eternity. So I, I, I attempted the two hours. I didn't get there during the Kyle C's. I got there by Dr. Joe Dispenza with his, but the idea that you're saying, okay, you could present yourself to start a meeting for one or two or three minutes, I think is really great. One of the things I wanted to bring up that was resonating with me, what you were talking about is essentially following your process. Let me lead myself. And then once I lead myself, I can lead you. And then once I lead you, I can lead a team and lead, then I can lead an organization, then a culture, whatever that map was. And one of the things that resonated was, I don't know if you ever saw that TED talk where he talks about how to create a movement. And he says, there's a lone nut dancing in a concert. And it's like this first person that's like lonely dancing, like weird. If you haven't checked this out, you should check it out, listener. But, and it's like, he's the lone nut. He's courageous. He doesn't care. He's already had the conversations with himself. He's doing the practice and he's unattached. And then that one person who explains this in the TED Talk says the first follower. He embraces the first follower like you were talking about softball. The first follower, high fives, let's win this thing. You're a part of this. And that first follower is really the leader. And now the first follower is the leader. So it's like, I'm not the leader, you're the leader. And then that attracts that third person. He says, three's a crowd and a crowd is interesting. And then once there's interest, then it's okay, now we have a team and then other people want to join this team. And then it's like people sitting on the lawn start flooding because now I don't want to miss out. I guess I got to join this thing. And it's a really cool, fun way of saying a very similar thing that you're describing here, Alex, which is how can you as the leader have enough vulnerability, willingness, courage to sit and meditate for 365 days, now eight years. How can I, listening to this, muster up the willingness, the discipline, the desire, the willingness to just be that version of me? I don't know. What would you say to that? Because to be disciplined is sometimes tough. I would also say that my discipline has come out of necessity as well. I look back to 2017. I was living in San Francisco. I was living in a hole in the wall apartment. I was working at a job that was making me really good money. And I was feeling 
unbelievably depressed and a lack of fulfillment. Like it was one of those points in my life that I look back and say, wow, that was a particular low point that really catalyzed me to make changes and to seek help. And I remember I was there, I was drinking almost, it wasn't a weekend warrior, I was a weekday and a weekend warrior. I was out, I was, again, making good money and also just my priorities were out of alignment. And I still remember waking up one of the days and be like, I do not want to wake up. I do not want to even go to work or see anybody. It was like truly when you imagine, you know, that bottom of the barrel depression, like it was close my door, turn off the lights, there's trash everywhere in my room. It was like, I don't even have the energy to do that. And it was, for me, I had been groomed as a child that when someone Somebody asks you, how are you doing? You say, I'm doing awesome. Because what it does is, first off, they hear it and they're like, oh man, this person's doing awesome. I want to do awesome. And the second thing it does, if I say it, it'll go in my ear and start to brainwash myself into feeling like I'm doing awesome. And sure, that's helpful, but it's also pushing down these really tough negative thoughts that I'm having. And that can come out in different types of ways. And when I woke up and really was like, man, I am depressed. I I like coming to grips with it. And oh, by the way, depression has run in my family, both my mom's and my dad's side, my sister's, like all of it. And so it's something there. And it's also, a beautiful part because as I've started to learn how to be with my depression and also take ownership that, yeah, there's a part of me that's depressed and will always be depressed. But when I start to wake up and I feel that natural inclination going downwards, that's actually just a really healthy signal for me that maybe I should prioritize sleep. Maybe I should stop drinking alcohol. Maybe it's Friday night and I shouldn't go out. Maybe I should really start going on more runs, whatever it might be. And I found that as I started to more identify with, actually, I do struggle with depression. It's actually not been a voodoo word of like, stay away from that word because that word is going to F me up. But more of like, oh, that's when I own that and I start to nourish that part of me and start to really be there for it. I've actually found that it really supports me on my journey of becoming more of me. I would say I've even just started really realizing the value of my depression because it's really started to slow me down quite a bit more. It's also brought me down the path for so long. I used to think my goal of my life was happiness. Try to be happy all the time. And being happy all the time is, is freaking impossible. You can't be happy all the time. And what I've been taught recently is that the goal is not to be happy all the time. The goal is actually to feel joy all the time. And you can actually feel joy even when you're in the shit, even in the struggle, even when you get the nose, even when you're having to do it, because the joy comes from being in service to something, to serving something greater and to enjoying the process of it. And it's also bringing joy to the moment to moment. Like it's a new, I'm in New York city, right? I was walking down the street the other day and I had this like beam of light from the sun hit my face. And it was like the first time I felt like warm sun on my face in three months. And I just stopped and I was like, oh, this is nice. And that was just like a single tiny moment of joy that brought me to the present moment right there. And so that's really bringing me to like how to embody this more is this, yes, I'm down to have a vision, but I also want to bring that vision to the present moment. And the way that I bring that vision to the present moment is to try to find the joy in the sunlight hitting my face, in the struggle as I'm working with a particular sales professional that he's needing or she's needing to be developed in a certain type of way. And we're figuring it out sort of thing like, oh, I can get behind that. That's awesome, man. I love that and appreciate that. And I think a lot of people can relate. Listener, I'm curious if you can relate. If so, you can let us know in the comments here or leave us a review with a question or a comment on how you're enjoying this. I'm curious, earlier you mentioned this word grief. Here you're mentioning this word depression. And I can definitely relate to the whole drowning my sorrows in alcohol and those sorts of things too. I'm 
almost to a year, probably when this releases, I'll be at about a year of no alcohol, going strong. And just, I don't know exactly what I want my relationship to look like to it, but I know that it was definitely a coping mechanism. I have a way of knowing if you have a drinking problem, is your drinking causing problems? Then you have a drinking problem. That's how I look at it. I don't know if I'm an alcoholic or not. I haven't done all the 12 steps and all that stuff. I've noticed that just a lot better, more level-headed, not falling into those bouts of depression and fear and anxiety. And then just this concept of, okay, maybe I should prioritize my sleep. Maybe I should hit the gym. Maybe I should not go out on a Tuesday night or just making different choices and how much of our depression actually is just our own making in some ways, right? And that relationship between order and chaos, at least for my life, and I think for most people's lives in the modern culture, we have too much chaos. Like it's just too complicated. It's too much going on. It's too fast. There's too many signals and messages flying at us. We're trying to do too much. We're trying to be too many things to too many people. We're in disarray. And so it's like simplifying and structuring, which, you know, it doesn't come naturally to me, but it's something that I've really had to do. It seems like you've done that too. So I don't know. I'm mostly just ranting at this point. But uh, any thoughts on that before we ask you our three famous questions that we like to wrap up our shows with? Yeah. Listen, man, I'll say there's this one group I'm part of, and they've taught me a wonderful saying when somebody shares something similar to what you said is like, hey, your work is my work, man. Your work is my work. I definitely have and continue to be dependent on vices, whether it be alcohol, whether it be marijuana, maybe it's overeating, maybe it's even I'm addicted to exercising because I need to work out or else I'm going to start to freak out here. Like first acknowledge yourself. This is something here. There's something below the surface within me that's causing me to compensate for some sort of reason. And again, your work is my work and that will never be done there. And it's just part of the journey of becoming aware of it and then figuring out how to go deeper of creating that sacred place for yourself where you can say, huh, what's underneath that? What's the need that I'm not getting met that's causing me to do that? Is it my insecure? Am I just exhausted? Am I whatever it is? And going down there and start to play with the root of it as opposed to just look at the leaves or the fruit that's coming from it. I love that, man. This has been so fun. I know we only have five minutes because we, we got some hard stops today. So, Yeah, yeah, Alex. And I want to make sure we leave a little bit of time for you just to riff on what Alluvians is and where people can learn more and whatnot. But let's go into the three questions. These are real short hitting questions. You don't have to expand too much. First thing that comes to your mind. The first question is, what do you think the world needs most today? What does the world need most today? It needs self-connection. People need to become more connected with themselves. I need to become more connected with myself. And the more we can do that, the more I think it's going to allow us to therefore then connect with other people, not just via social media, this fake world that we have out there, but to really, when we're connected with ourselves, we can connect with other people. Thanks, man. I just listened to a Russell Brand, Joe Rogan episode for like four hours and they were talking about embodying everything. I really love that theme. So I'm definitely hip to that right now. The uh, legendary... Uh podcasters. Right? Oh yeah. Da- down down the rabbit hole we go, right? Uh, question number two, what one to three books do you think uh, everyone should read? So when I was in that state in San Francisco in 2017 and depressed, my sister, Holly, she recommended me a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And it's actually a book I'm rereading right now because I remember how impactful it was. And it was just really about how to deal with the hardness of life, of the depression, of the challenge, of the looking for something elsewhere. When it says, and it explains it in a really wonderful narrative of a student at Berkeley and finding a sensei. And I 
Not sure if you got it right there, Mike, but it's one of, yep. It just got delivered yesterday. <laughs> I just Dude, bought it. Serendipitous right there. Serendipitous. Mm. Oh my God. I haven't opened uh, it up yet. But. That's a great one. I got two more for you. One is the Celestine Prophecy. Celestine is C-L-C-E-L-E-S-T-I-N-E. And that book's just about reading the energy of the world and where is the world going. And again, it's all about a narrative around finding these ancient manuscripts and prove that I'm just like, oh, like this is going into the consciousness. And the other book that I just read is called The Stormlight Archives. It's actually a fantasy, a fictional series of books. But that book and that series has taught me more about leadership and more about believing in oneself and finding others to support on the journey than really any nonfiction or any type of book that I could imagine. And just it sucks you in as one of those page turners where you're like, oh, it's one in the morning, but I'm still going to read this book right here. So we'll definitely recommend that. That's cool. That reminds me of The Alchemist. That's what The Alchemist did for me. So I appreciate that. Uh, I'll have to check that one out. Third question before you tell us a little bit about where people could find you is what does it mean to you to be better than rich? That's good. I think it's to be better than rich. There's a few things there. It's Number one is to have wealth and wealth can come in the form of love and come in the form of community, come in the form of spaciousness. I think When I think of being better than rich, I imagine waking up in the morning, having a nice long morning routine, getting my surfboard and going out surfing and then coming back and maybe having a call or two with some powerful, cool people and also just spending time with my family, like the spaciousness to do what you want to do and also to do, to live a meaningful type of life. Man, if I can do that, my heart's going to be golden there. (laughs) Awesome, man. So I'm going to give you a chance to tell people how to stay in touch with you. But I got to ask one more question. Should this is the most important one of the podcast? Should I grow out the man bun? So what are the pros and cons of the man bun? What do you think, man? Yes or no? Uh, I would first, I absolutely, you should do it because they're definitely coming back. Should I start with 65 days without cutting my hair? And we'll, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if I commit to it. But yeah, but I, I love, I love the look, dude. Yeah. I appreciate that. Have you ever, the old, there's old fable of, or the parable of Samson and Delilah, where Samson receives all of his power and his strength from his hair, and then Delilah ends up cutting it off and betrays him. But there's times when I got my hair really out, and I got a man where I'm like, I find my power and my strength, and also my uniqueness, because very few people have these man buns here, and like, that's just what adds to my vibe. So I'd recommend it, brother. I love it. Hey, man, how can people stay in touch if they've really enjoyed this conversation, want to learn more about what you're up to with Luvians and the podcast and, uh, and your immersions and all that? Yeah, man. First off, I'm on LinkedIn, Alex Kremer. If you want to check out Alluvians, check out A-L-U-V-I-A-N-C-E dot C-O, Alluvians dot C-O. By the way, Alluvians means to be in a state of flow as you are learning and growing and developing. So you're not yet at your peak, but you're like, oh, I'm starting to get it. So I'm feeling very Alluvians or Alluvians. Um but listen, I've got my podcast, which by the way, Biggs, you will be on my podcast as well on the Rising Leader podcast. If you want to learn more, or listen more there. We've got a couple of upcoming emergence. Uh, one's going to be in April in LA. We got one coming in Austin in July. But it's really the goal is to bring tech sales professionals together to help people find something and serve something bigger than themselves and do the inward journey and do that within a community of people who are trying to 
change the world. If you're interested, check that out. Besides that, yeah, it's been an honor and a pleasure to be on this. I appreciate what you guys are doing here for sure. Yeah, man. Hey, it's been super fun. Listener, if you've enjoyed this episode, it's your turn to spread the word. Make sure you leave a review and also share with a friend if you've enjoyed this podcast so more people can learn about what we're up to here at Better Than Rich. And Alex, this has been super fun. Mike, this has been awesome. And uh, listener, thanks again for being on the journey with us. Until next week, leave today better than you found it. We'll see you then. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at the better than rich show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown over four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders on diving in deep on what really matters, but really mastering the craft and being in an incredible community. Our next Arise Immersion is coming up this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area, and make sure you grab your spot. Check out alluvians.co to apply there. Hope to see you there.